Hello and welcome to And All Shall Be Well. I am Megan Rohr and I am your host. Today's episode involves the story of Ariel, who is a writer and a trans activist who is Jewish, who grew up in France and currently lives in the southern part of Israel in a town called Beersheba or Beersheba, if you are an American who reads the Bible. Uh, it's an area that historically is known because of its connections to Abraham and the stories of Abraham and Isaac. And it is also a place that is making news now for being very close to a war that is happening. This conversation today is not at all about war or politics or any of those things. It's some highlights about what it is like to be someone who is trans and living in Israel, what it is like to be Jewish in France, and what it is like to be a writer who is just trying to make it in this weary world. Ariel takes a lot of time to let us into the ways that their lives are fully human and a work in progress. And I think you'll find from our conversation that they have the kind of insight that comes from being a companion to others who are walking a weary journey. I hope this conversation will inspire you to think about ways that you have been strong, that you have made it through hard things and to care for yourself, even if it's only to forgive yourself for sleeping in when your body needs that rest. Enjoy. My name is Ariel. Uh, my pronouns are okay. I in English. I speak other languages. I'm 35 years old, which still surprises me. I'm originally French. I was born in France. I grew up uh, both in France and Israel. Uh, so I speak French, Hebrew, English, a little bit of Spanish. I think I did have several lives since I was born. I think I'm on my fourth one. Sorry. This is my cola. She's very sweet and she likes to participate. I used to be a professional musician. I also studied languages and literature. My last job was coordinator of the trans groups of a youth movement called Israeli Gay Youth. So it's a national movement in Israel and I was coordinating all of the groups for people on the trans spectrum. I came out pretty late in life, I guess, partly because I grew up in a religious uh, community, a Jewish religious household. And I didn't really know that there were other options. So I didn't really know about my queer identity or sexual orientation until later in life, which I'm learning to accept that. And uh, I think I had a lot of, yeah, as I said, several different lives trying to make sense of all of it. Yeah, I'm now working on a book. And I wrote about all these different journeys and coming of age. So I'm working on trying to get it published, writing a second one. Yeah, I think a lot of things happened during my life. And I'm, I'm trying to now channel all of that into writing, which is something I've always been doing, actually, since I was a kid. I used to write poetry. I tried to write stories. Now finally coming to light. So that's exciting. 
And it, I was fortunate enough to get to see a little bit of a sample of her book. Really? Yeah. And I, what I appreciated about it was that it, it's a little saucy, it's a little spicy, right? What I appreciated is that it feels fully embodied. Like sometimes when we tell trans stories, we tell just the parts about our own uh, flaps and folds, so to speak. And you really tell the story from a complete perspective, right? You're not afraid to talk about sensuality. You're not afraid to talk about faith and to talk about a lot of the kind of intersectional complex stuff that goes into things. Would you be willing to share a little bit of a like sneak preview about what the book's about? Tell people what the book's about so they can be excited for it. Yeah. Thank you. The main idea, the main struggle right now is actually finding a title that's going to contain all of it. Because basically, this book is mainly about two segments of my identity that are very dominant and always have been. One is religion and the other one, the other one is, is queerness, be it sexuality, identity, orientation, all of that, performance, gender roles. So I'm really trying in the book to bring out like all the conflicts that I have been feeling in some periods of my life and the way trying to resolve them also between the faith that I used to have. I, I say I used to have because I, I feel like lost my faith, which is a very sad process. And I don't think it can ever be replaced by something else because it was very strong. Um, I still consider myself Jewish, maybe more culturally than else right now but i still go to service sometimes i'm part of a really nice community now in Beersheba. but yeah i'm going further from the subject yeah so i'm trying in the book i'm I'm trying to bring them together intertwined also there's a motive that comes back in the book which is the making of the challah challah bread uh, which is the traditional jewish bread that we eat uh, on shabbat and so it's, it's a bread that you make the dough and it has to sit for a few hours and then you have to knead it and then you go back to it and then you make a braid out of that. It's, it's famous for its braid shape. And so I'm in the book, I'm always going back to like religion and as this base that I had for life and the, the, the journey that I was supposed to take. Um, a lot of expectations, social expectations from my family, uh, maybe from my parents, from the community I grew up in, from myself, things that I interiorized and I thought this is what I'm supposed to do in life. And then progressively I am met with people or questions or events that trigger curiosity. I'm, I'm a very curious person and I guess every time there were corners in my life in which I was like, oh, wait a minute. I can't just know this now and then forget about it or keep going on my journey. I have to go. But yeah, I'm, I'm really trying to bring out those two elements to show how a lot of times in my life, it felt like a conflict and also how hard, I guess, I had to work to make it into something that's really my identity. For those who don't know necessarily what it's like to be in Jew to be Jewish in different countries in the world. Can you explain, what was it like growing up in France with a Jewish family? So interestingly enough, 
and it happens a lot. I used to be more religious when I was with friends. My parents became religious. They were not religious. They embraced it as something they wanted to live in. And then as soon as I moved to Israel, when I was 22, I started because suddenly I was part of the majority. I didn't have to. I didn't have to bring out this aspect of me so much. When I was in France, when you're in France or abroad or not in Israel, but especially in France, there's, I don't know if it's, yeah, I guess we could call it pride. Just like gay people who have to like, who have to be proud of themselves because no one else is. (laughs) And they have to celebrate this part of their identity and remind people that they exist. So I guess for me in France, it was a lot of that. It was trying to fit in a society that liked every part of it. I loved the separation of church and state. I loved that I could learn at a very high intellectual level in high school and that the teachers were okay with the fact that I was, I wouldn't write. I was in school on Saturday, even at university, trying to find a way to take exams that Shabbat is from sundown on Friday until it's sundown on Saturday. And you're not supposed to write, use electricity. And obviously there's ways and tricks to make it work. But yes, it's more of a, I was more interested maybe in my Jewishness when I was in France. And it was more something that I was proud of. I was exploring. I was trying to also find a balance between the outside world and what we do in the community because I never wanted to be secluded or live in a very closed orthodox way. The school that I went to and in, in, I, I don't remember how we say much in English or in American primary school. Yeah, primary school. The school I went to in primary school was a Jewish school and it was actually pretty orthodox and pretty hardcore and I think I internalized a lot of like guilt and and narratives about religion that are not necessary and also a lot of people don't believe in them but it was just a one-size-fit-all kind of thing also I was in a girls class all girls class which was weird for me even though I wasn't really aware of my gender identity it was just I don't know felt like a lot so, yeah, I guess I was more, I was very into the intellectual aspect of religion. Also, I was studying Torah with teachers, really into it. And uh, I miss it. But I think, again, the, the minute I moved to Israel and I realized that was a majority and I didn't have to like look at a special list to make sure I was buying the right yogurt that was kosher and at the supermarket because everything is kosher and nobody, the calendar, the yearly calendar is all around the Jewish holidays. And so I didn't actually have to make an effort so much anymore. And I also realized that I didn't have to make mine some parts of religion that I can agree with. Suddenly, I was becoming my own person and I was older. I wasn't living in the same closed-knit community anymore, so I could make my own choices. And it felt like a huge loss. Like, I'm not like, like, it was really hard. It was not, obviously, it didn't happen in a day. Um, it was a long process. I like the way you're explaining that because I think it, it brings out for me something that 
is a part of transness that's hard to explain. And I don't, I'm not saying the two, like being Jewish and being trans are the same journey, but what it inspired in me is this idea of like, what people always want to know is your goal at the end of your trans journey, right? And body can change over time and sag, even if we don't want them to. And there's physical, there's so many parts that go into it. And what you express in moving to Israel is that when there is more freedom to have your identity, you can make different choices than when you live in a time and a space where your ability is limited, when the number of people who see you or don't see you is limited, when there are people who need to know you exist to survive into the future is different. And so for me, your that journey makes me wonder what it would be like if there was a a magical fairyland somewhere where being trans was just like normal and you could choose your own adventure without it needing to mean something to other people. Right. And I, I wonder if you've, if you have had moments where you've encountered that, or if you're still searching for that, how is your transness on this journey? That's a very good question. And I oftentimes I feel like I cannot separate my trans journey from my religious journey because they are very related, especially because I guess religion for me, the way I experienced it in, again, in France and a more orthodox community, I know it's different in the States, in Israel too, again, depending on where you were born. And, but, but religion for me was extremely binary, very binary world. You know, if you're a woman, you do a certain type of things. Uh, and if you're a man, you do other things. And even, you know, you sit in different places when you go to service. Um, you actually do different things. Women light candles on Friday night to, you know, welcome the, the, sh the spats, and men don't. Uh, I mean, they do, you know, there's a lot of rules. But uh, even in school, I had to wear, I had to wear skirts. I couldn't wear pants. And the same in synagogue, like I was not going to synagogue wearing pants. For me, I remember until the age of 12, I didn't really think about gender. It was more, I have a body and it's pretty fluid and I can wear whatever I want. Parents didn't really care about putting me in specific things. I loved exper I loved experimenting clothes. I was just in a more comfortable place. And then when things started, sorry, I forgot the word. When you get into teenagehood. Puberty? Yes, puberty. Thank you. So puberty hits. And when you're 12, if you're a girl in Judaism, which is like a celebration of you becoming basically a young adult and it's 13 if you're a boy and again there are differences the men are going to read the torah in the synagogue and the women are just gonna i don't know bear make challah bread like this is that so that's when things started to become two separate loyalties uh, i remember even as a young kid watching my dad put the feeling like the, the leather um little boxes i guess if you're not jewish it looks and sounds really weird but it's basically on morning prayers we put leather bands on your arm and something on your head to remember that you are i guess a creature of god and connected to god and you have to pray your shawl and i remember watching my dad and my brother uh, doing this ceremony at morning wanting to be part of it i really wanted to like do that too 
and going to synagogue and, and being on the women's side and hearing the men lead the prayers. And I really wanted all we grew up in a very musical household. And I, I remember wanting to lead the service, not just listen to it or be audience. So I can tell that around a lot of binary religious things, this is when my, my feelings of gender were like, oh, wait, this is not necessarily what I want to do. Uh, but I just didn't know that there were other options. And uh, yeah, puberty was just weird. <laughs> it was weird. I was very skinny. There were some years that I had my, my hair short, very short, and I was wearing whatever I wanted. And then some years I was like, I remember getting closer to like 20s. I was to the 20s. I remember spending a lot of time trying to understand figure out what is it to be a woman. Like I would spend hours trying makeup on and clothes and wearing heels and being extra feminine and being like, if I'm a woman, then this is what I'm supposed to do. That's what I'm supposed to be. Um, yeah, I guess at the beginning, I was like, maybe I'm one of those feminists. There's a lot of feminist women uh, in Judaism who are pushing, pushing the religion to be more egalitarian. There's a lot of different egalitarian communities or communities where women are more, are taking part in things that men usually do. And it's not accepted by everybody. But at the beginning, I was like, maybe that's who I am. Maybe I'm just a very feminist girl. But then I was like, I, I don't think so. I am. I am a feminist. I believe the fact that men should be at least, if not have equal opportunities to things. But I think I really just wanted to be on the men's side. That's just what I wanted. I wanted to be part of the show. That's what I, I answered your question. What a good answer. And if the questions lead us to good answers, then that's really more important. I think one, one thing that I think for context that might be helpful for an American audience to hear is that in Israel, because you all have national health care, the Supreme Court, in my understanding, made it possible for people to have their health supported through community groups. And statistically, rather than imagining religiously what groups exist, and because they're statistically in Israel are LGBTQ people, there are LGBTQ community centers that are funded and the youth get certain community groups that they can participate in and seniors have community groups. And there's lots of different types of community groups. In the United States, those community groups would be something people would pay to join as like a golf club kind of thing. But my experience of them in Israel is that there is a lot higher participation rate. It's normal for youth to participate in the different types of clubs, like running club or going out into nature club or the LGBTQ clubs. And part of your week work that you described at the beginning was is supporting one of these clubs. And I'm wondering if you would talk a little bit more about what that was like, the work that you were carrying and some of the, the lessons you learned from that. Yeah, actually, it's quite surprising because people wouldn't expect Israel to be one of the most advanced uh, countries in terms of rights, trans rights. We have a lot of, it is a tug of war between the rights that we have and then the media or we even ministers you know, talk about the LGBTQ community or trying to pass laws about the community, which are crazy and taking us 20 years backwards. But in reality, we have, yeah, we have a pretty good social health system. Basically, if you take hormones or if you have any kind of surgery, you are eligible for, for financial support. 
when you're trans. Like you, you can just ask for, uh, it gets put under the disability department. So like we all have a dis disabled card. Also useful, it gets you, it counts for habitation tax or whatever. So again, I know that's pretty surprising to hear. Even surgeries are can be funded by by the state. You have to go through a long process, and they have to give you the approval that you are in fact really trans. This, yeah, the way it works, uh, the um, LGBTQ community here, Israel is a is a country where a lot of things are done through organizations, NGOs, a lot of different things. Be it for disabled people, be it queer people, be it for um, autistic kids. Like, there's a ton of less going to be the government. It's more going to be like uh, yeah, non-government organizations. And so, the movement that I was working in, the association that I was working in, uh, called EP Israeli Gay Youth, and uh, basically, it's a youth movement completely free for anyone to come and join from the age of 13 to 18. 23, 18 to 23, also we have specifically for people with a Jewish religious background or an Arab background or on the trans spectrum. We also make sure in this organization, they make sure that people who have an, an additional background that could be more difficult or could be challenging, we also have specific groups for those people with the counselors also being from that identity, obviously, so that they understand what the kids go through. And I actually, I used to be a counselor. I volunteered for six, five, six years before I worked. The first year I was volunteer, volunteering in the religious group, and we had a lot of kids who were in the closet. Families were not necessarily supportive, but they didn't know. This youth movement is the only youth movement in Israel where kids under the age of 18 can be, you know, uh, with counselors, adults, without the authorization of their parents, which is mind-blowing. It's a combination of the Ministry of Health and the Ministry of Education. They gave us, they give us permission, basically, to be on a weekly basis with minors without parents knowing it. We obviously don't encourage ever children lying to their parents about where they go, but the Ministry of Health and Education understand because sometimes there's a lot of difference between the ministry and head of government or there's a lot of politics that go into that, but basically on the tearing, as you say, it comes to the fact that a lot of kids have, you know, a number to call, they have somewhere to go, they have a center. In every center, in every big city, you have a white house where you can also social group support groups in the organization that I used to work at. There's also a whole um, psychological envelope for the kids. Like every week, there was used to be a case that we needed to involve one of the social workers because be it a kid that's that ran out of the house because the parents were not supportive or be it a kid that you know suddenly tells the counselors that they are planning to take their own lives or it's a kid saying I really need uh, you know I need therapy can you help me find someone every week there was 
the case in almost every, I would say every region, you have a, a case where you have to involve the social workers. And that was, for me, that was the most stressful thing. When I started working, I remember like my boss, future boss, asking me during the interviews, what's your goal for the year? And I said, I really want no one to die. It sounds terrible, but this is, and it didn't happen. I was because we have a very strong envelope, because we believe in the fact that we have, we have to reach out to the kids. We have to look for them. We have to actively put posters everywhere around Israel. You can find groups of people putting up posters of have you heard about this movement? Do you know where you can go? This is a hotline on the internet. It's very easy to find because we know that a lot of people are in certain communities that they cannot access those groups. And we also know that some people will never get the help that they need. And this is a very hard thing to come to terms with. And it was hard for me to tune out. My number was on the website. I knew that councils could call me anytime the day of the night, if there was a kid that needed something, there was an emergency. So just knowing that for a year and a half, I was going to do two years. But when the war started, I, I was just like, this is too much for my own mental health. Sure. I have to take care of myself first. But just knowing that I was on call, I was on duty, and that was hard. But also knowing that there were different steps. There were people above me. And I also learned... I think one of the things that I learned is that even in the trans, even in, in the LGBT community, even in the trans community, there are very different views about things, be it political, be it even queerness. Queerness, the definition of queerness, the definition of trans. For some people are not trans enough. Some people are not, not binary enough. Like everybody has their own definition and sometimes the temptation of exercising gatekeeping because suddenly we can, because suddenly we are comfortable in our community. Suddenly we can choose who's in and who's out. That was a little bit hard to witness. And also what was hard is that as opposed to other counselors in other groups, it was just, just the regional groups, the counselors were usually pretty stable, healthy. In, the, in our groups, the religious groups, the Arab groups, and the trans group counselors were also, only one of them needed to go into the psychiatric care. One of them was telling me I had a suicide attempt two weeks ago. When it, it was adults, taking care of adults. And realizing that they see in me someone that brings them stability and realizing that I am much stronger than I thought. Again, I said I am lucky because I, I didn't know a lot of people on the trans spectrum that, that passed away or took their own lives. And I think I'm very lucky also to, I don't know if I have, I don't know if it's good gen, genetics, if it's a good upbringing, if it's the fact that I didn't have to go through transphobia as a young person. And so I can do whatever I want. I have my own credit card, I have my own bank account, my own. That even if, let's say, my family wasn't happy about it, I'm an adult. I can do whatever I want. So that was realizing this privilege and also realizing that I can, because of this stability, I can bring hope to people 
even if they are adults, even if they are kids, I can tell them, you can do this. It's possible. And in addition to how hard it is to hear those stories on a regular basis, you live a few miles away from an active war zone currently. Or as you stated, doing all of this while being a survivor of all the trauma that comes from that, it's a lot. So are, what are some of the things that you do to care for your own wellness that you're willing to share publicly with other people? It's a very good exercise, actually. And I think that give me the opportunity of actually making a list of things that I do and realizing how well I can and I do take care. I would say therapy is very, I recommend personally therapy, but choosing the right one. There's a lot of different available. Choosing the right therapist is very important. I think for recommendations, you're going to need to feel comfortable and seen. It could be 10 years to find a therapist that could use the right pronouns and not try to tell me that I shouldn't date girls, which should be very basic. Yeah, on a more daily basis, I, especially now, we are in, a, in more time and it's horrible for, for everybody. Everybody is the victim here. Uh, we didn't, I didn't choose to be at war. I didn't choose how it happened, how it's happening now. And it's, it's difficult to feel that other people are deciding what's happening. Not, nothing is happening in my day-to-day -day life. So I'm lucky too. So what I do, I make sure that I sleep. Even if I sleep too much or I have regular nightmares and I feel that, but I make sure that I go to sleep very late and I don't get angry at myself if I wake up late because I tell myself that I need this support. I, I really try to go twice a week to do some sport, whatever it is, going out every day, even if it's just for 15 minutes, trying to get some air some sun, seeing friends, but more than just seeing friends, also like learning to reach out, learning to say, I don't feel good. I had a horrible day or I'm scared. I'm anxious today. I'm triggered by a lot of things. Finding the people that are going to accept the things that you bring to them and really making a kind of a filter and just thinking about your relationships and saying, is this actually, is this relationship actually helping me? Is it good to me? Is it bringing me joy? Simply not. I stick to very basic foods because I don't have a lot of appetite at the moment, but I know that certain things work for me. So like I try to have two meals a day, at least not three. And to stick to like things that I know that I like, I know that body likes. Yeah. And at least trying to be gentle to myself. I have a friend who sent me a, a link to an Oponopono meditation. I didn't know about it. And I'm actually listening to 15 minutes every morning of basically a meditative music. And it's the one that says in a very calming voice. And I think he has a British accent, which always helps. Helps. He says the four principles of the belief, which is, I love you. I please forgive me. And there's a fourth one. Maybe you know it. I, yeah. Forgive me. Please forgive me. I love you. 
thank you. And there's a fourth one, whatever. It just really helps to like listen to positive things to counter all the negative things that, you know, you can hear around always. I don't go too much on social media. I try to keep, if I go on Instagram, I'm going to look for like fun pages. I'm going to look for the recipe pages. I'm going to look for the guy who talks about his kids in a very cute way. I'm going to look for things that are uplifting and I don't check the news because they don't change. Fortunately. I like the idea that you can craft your brain into not holding on to the negative stuff the hardest. I think particularly as a trans person, there are all these people who want to say they know better about how we should be than our own thoughts. And even if you think you've got the world figured out, which mm, I don't, it's even harder because there's all these people who say, you don't even know how to figure out who you are. And so I love this idea of trying to craft your mind through meditation or through what you're seeing on social media. I think, I wonder if part of that is the writing for you too, is like getting your story out helps you not be erased, right? It helps you make sense of what's happened in several ways, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like that. I like looking at it. that. I, I will say that a lot of people have told me in the past that the brain is something that you can you know, craft and educate, and change. And I was like, I don't know. But it is. I'm really seeing that. Also, I switched therapy recently. And also something that can be good. Just felt like I needed a change. And I was really struggling to bring it in my life. And my therapist was like, I think you should try something else. Like she broke up with me basically, but it was the right thing to do because I switched to something called EMDR, like more precise. And it's really about retraining the brain and I'm really seeing the results. And I do believe that shutting off as much as that possible, the negative things about, and yeah, I'm saying I am, boy, yeah, it's not going to matter. It doesn't matter whatever people say. Just, I think just being trans, just getting out of the house is already a battle. Uh, but it's also a revolution. So you have to embrace that. You have to cherish that because a lot of people don't do that and they don't realize how special they are. Also, it's the other side of the coin. I appreciate you sharing your story. I appreciate you having the, the courage to keep writing. I appreciate the work you've done, kind of supporting other folk. And I especially appreciate, because I bet you don't get enough appreciation for this, that you knew to pause and take care of yourself for a while when it got hard, right? Because you're no good to other people if you can't take the time to care for yourselves. So I super appreciate all about you. Yeah. Yeah. It is something that my, my bosses, yeah, I had a few bosses and they all told me that. And they said more than they said bravo, being able to like also see before something happens to be able to say, I need space now, I need now and like prevent something. But also they said to me, it's amazing modeling for your counselors and show them that you are also a person, you have needs and you are able to see that things might be, might get more difficult and let's not go that far. And yeah, I, I, it's something I had, I, I also had to learn. I've been burnt out before, fortunately this time I could say I could stop it. And I really, really appreciate to be here on your podcast. For me, it's a dream. 
and true. I would never in a million years have imagined that I could actually meet you in person. It was never supposed to happen. It was fate gone. I don't know, but I'm super grateful. Yeah. I mean, I. If people are interested in connecting with you more, what's the best way for them to do that? So I'm a kind of, I'm a bit of a boomer. So I do mainly Facebook. Yeah. My name is pretty long, but it's Ariel, like I spelled it now, and Alvarez, which is good luck finding it, but you can. I'm also on Instagram. It's easier. It's Ari Adam AP altogether. A-R-I-A-D-A-M-A-P. Yeah, I don't really have other media because, as I said, I was born before the 90s. So I don't do TikTok and I don't want to, but I will gladly watch any reel you want to send. I will be very honored and happy. Awesome. I'll put your info in the um, spaces below, however each medium allows people to do it. And just so grateful for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, thank you for making space for people's stories and uh, for those ways of treating ourselves better. Tremendous. Thank you for listening to my conversation today. I hope that it inspired you to keep going, to be kind to yourself and to know that journeys change, that If you are blessed to have a long enough life, there might be many hats that you wear and many spaces on this globe that you occupy. Continue to tell your story because it matters. Continue to be your full fabulous self because it matters. And when you're able, if you're able, care for other people. When you're not able, take a break. Sleep every once in a while and do what you can to refresh. It really is important stuff. If you appreciated this conversation, I hope that you will like and subscribe and do all of the things that people do in order to help support programming that they consume pretty much for free on the social interwebs. And if you are interested in helping more of these global conversations happen, supporting people who are just making it through, then consider being a subscriber or someone who is pushing the work forward and supporting on Patreon. No matter how you make it, make it through. For those who support a little extra, I am so grateful and I am so thankful that you are able to help in those ways. For others who are just living through today, I am even more grateful that you made it to another opportunity to find out what will happen next time. And we'll see you then. And I'll be rooting for you. Take care, everybody.